Good morning. Happy Sabbath. This beautiful day in Alaska. I love that part. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sabbath that we can come apart from the cares of this life. We thank you for who you are, God of love, long-suffering, full of compassion and tender mercy. It's because of this reality that we come to you this morning in worship, in awe, in wonder as to your character. We pray that you would bless us now as we pause a few moments to reflect on the kingdom of heaven and the principles found in your holy word. May the Holy Spirit inspire and instruct in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you have not already, we are continuing in our series of messages from the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, we began the first blessed in the Beatitudes. Just a review from last Sabbath, there are nine blesseds when Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount. And as you can imagine, in the mind of the first, first century disciple or the first century Jew, people by this time had an inkling that this may be the long-looked-forth Messiah. They had a presupposition in regards to the Messiah. They believed that the Messiah would come and drive out the Romans. They believed that the Messiah was going to come and be a political deliverer. And so this is kind of the inaugural address of the Messiah. And as Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, very likely in the minds of the people of the first century as they listened to this, they did not understand what Jesus was saying. I would go on to say that most likely they were quite puzzled by the words that Jesus was saying here at the Sermon on the Mount because if he was coming as a deliverer from the Romans, he would have started out by saying something like, blessed are the powerful, blessed are those who have ambition, blessed are the elite. That would have been real red meat for a congregation of the first century Jew. But Jesus begins his sermon by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. By this time, they're wondering. And then he goes on and says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. So this is a very interesting sermon. And as we said last Sabbath, the Sermon on the Mount begins with blessed are the poor in spirit. This is not talking about economic poverty. This is talking about those that realize their spiritual wretchedness, their spiritual bankruptcy. And then he goes on and says, blessed are those who mourn. As we begin our discussion of blessed are those who mourn, just a reflection from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, this can have three different applications. The first one, all of us 
at some point in our lives go through trials. Anyone going through a trial this week? Tribulation, difficult time. Sometimes we go through something that shakes us to the very core of who we are. And I hang on to this promise because it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It is in the definite. It didn't say may be comforted. It says shall be comforted, meaning that no matter what you may be going through in life, Jesus promises to be with you through the storm. Amen? Also, this is also a reference in the future tense that there is going to come an ultimate day when we will be delivered, will be ultimately comforted in the future when Jesus comes again the second time. The second application of mourning is a mourning of sympathy when our hearts are broken by the things that break the heart of God. It is a work of grace. When we see someone that is suffering, going through loss, and we experience emotional mourning because of sympathy and empathy for what they're going through. That is a God-given gift of grace. Today I'd like to highlight what I believe is the first application of what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are those who mourn. And I want to read this quote from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 10. The mourning here brought to view is a true heart sorrow for sin. I want to read that again. The mourning brought here to view is a true heart sorrow for sin. It is an emotional dynamic. Jesus did not say an intellectual knowledge. This is a, a, a word mourn or the word mourn indicates an emotional response to a spiritual condition. I think that all of us at some point in our lives have been given an apology that we just had a hard time accepting. Am I the only one that's gone through that? I'm sorry. The intonation gives it away. Or there's something about the expression when someone says that they're sorry and their facial expression or the sly smile or the micro expression just gives us an indication that this apology is not an emotional one. It is half-hearted. And it really leaves us in a state of unsettledness. And I would say that there's many times that we've been apologized to or we've given an apology and it has been a heartfelt one when you could see that this really comes from an emotional response, a connection. What Jesus is describing here is that there must be a genuine emotional remorse for what our sins have done. The first beatitude is an intellectual epiphany of our spiritual condition. The next one is an, a genuine emotional remorse for what our sins have done in hurting somebody else. When I accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord, 
I praise God for the nature of the gospel because I came to him and there were no preconditions. He said, just come. I knelt down after a canvassing program in the hills of Pennsylvania, and it was a beautiful moment. Someone led me to Christ. I said, David, do you want to accept Jesus as your Savior? And I was ready. I knelt down. I prayed the sinner's prayer, and my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Justified, saved, according to the gospel. There's a process a growing in grace that takes place. Now, you're saved in the entire process. I remember I was having my morning devotions, and as I was praying and spending time in Scripture, the Holy Spirit, it's amazing how this happens, the Holy Spirit started to bring back to my mind instances where I had hurt people. Now, I was saved I'd accepted Jesus, and, and the Lord began to bring back to my mind individuals that I had hurt, words that I had spoken. And prior to this experience, the, that situation had not even bothered me before. But suddenly there was a sensitivity that came over me, an awareness, and I want to tell you that I genuinely felt an emotional remorse for the things that I had done. It was not just an intellectual assent, but it was an emotional response with the recognition that I had hurt certain people along the way. And that emotional response became so overwhelming that I started to write letters to these individuals. It was just, I, I came to that point. I, I wrote these letters to people that I had not seen for years. And I would apologize and ask for their forgiveness. If I were, was able to visit with them in person, I would seek out these individuals and say, you know, I am so sorry for hurting you. Please forgive me. Now, I want to tell you that this emotional response was not fear-driven. It was not because I feared the judgment of God. It came from within a recognition of the magnitude and the hurt of my sins and what it had done to Jesus and what it had done to other people. In the gospel, there is not only an intellectual rewiring that takes place, but there is an emotional reformatting. I believe that we have become calloused to sin. My parents, being good Asian parents, they guided me and coached me or I should say, strongly encouraged me to take up a musical instrument. And mine was the cello. I quit, so don't get any bright ideas, all right? And, and uh, they would offer me donuts and all types of snacks to, to practice the cello. And I remember when I began, my fingers were so tender being 
a young youth, eight, nine years of age, and uh, I'd, I'd get a half-size or quarter-size cello, I forgot what it was, and, and I would play it, and after a few minutes, my, I would look at my fingers, and they were almost bleeding. They, they were intent, indented and purple, and it, it just became very difficult, painful, to play and practice the cello, but my teacher told me, keep on doing it, and so I kept on doing it, and over time, I started to develop a callus. And it came to the place after months, and I would say years, of continually doing the same thing, that it did not bother me anymore. And that's the same way it is with sin. We have become, just from being exposed to sin so much, we have become jaded to the true nature of sin. We become calloused. That there isn't even an emotional response. You know, certain things should bother us emotionally. When we see something, there should be an emotional response. Just like when we touch something that is hot and there is a pain reaction telling us that something is wrong, emotionally speaking, when we see certain things in the world or when we do something that is wrong, there should be emotional pain. If we don't have that, something is wrong. So when we come to Jesus, we come jaded, we come desensitized, we come calloused, and that's okay. But Jesus says, look, I'm going to start building a sensitivity so that you are bothered by the things that you should be bothered by. And then we start to see and be sensitive to the things that we have done. I read in a book, finished it last summer, in which they described a group of researchers that had been commissioned by Procter & Gamble billion-dollar company, multi-billions, and they had come up with a new product that they were going to launch. It was called Febreze. No doubt some of you may have it in your house. It's a chemical compound that actually, according to this book, absorbs odors. So they were trying to figure out how to market this and test it out, so they paid these researchers to go out into the community and try to figure out how people can develop the habit of using Febreze on a regular basis, thereby making this product sell very well. And so they came to this house. This lady had nine cats. And she was not doing a good job of taking care of the litter box. So as they came up to the door, they noticed that from the outside, they could even smell the odor that was emanating from this house. And the researchers just almost held their breath and got inside, and it was overpowering. It was putrid, the ammonia. And one of the researchers gagged, and they were just so amazed. And they said, look, you need to try this new product. It's called Febreze. And they gave her a bunch of samples of Febreze and said, look, we want you to use this in your house. It will get rid of the smell and we're going to come back in a few months and you can give us your feedback. So they said, surely if anyone needs Febreze, it is this woman, the cat woman. So they came back months later 
went into the house, and it smelled exactly like before. And they began to ask her some questions, the clipboards out. Um, did you use Febreze? They sa- she said, I started a little bit, but then, no, I stopped. Here are all the samples. She had hardly used it at all. And, she's, and they asked her, what do you think about the smell? And she said, you know, to be honest, I only notice it once a month or so. They were just amazed. How could a woman only notice the smell once a month? And then it struck them. She had become so accustomed to the smell that it came to the place that it did not bother her anymore. I wonder that about my two dogs, you know, living in a house with them and just wondering if I become accustomed to it. And friends, this is our natural state apart from God. We have become so acclimatized to sin that it does not elicit the right emotional response that it should. We become desensitized. They say that there are certain things that are an acquired taste. Have you heard that before? I'm Korean, so I can say this. Um, you know, this kimchi. Oh, I heard a uh. Oh, Lord have mercy. All right. I love kimchi. All right? It's an acquired taste. All right? But I have come to the place where it does not even cross my consciousness of the smell. My, my dad tells the story. We came to the United States single, and he was renting out this home or renting a room in a home and, uh, from this dear saint of a lady. And uh, Korean food was not readily accessible back in the 60s, but he got his hands on a jar of precious kimchi. It was sealed. And he put it in the refrigerator, and he didn't want anyone to be bothered, and so he snuck out in the middle of the night midnight, opened the jar. Oh, wow, just about to take a bite of it. And you notice that the woman had been startled by the smell all the way in her room and came out and said, what is that smell? <laughs> oh, we were at the camp out, and uh, someone broke out some Darien, and that is interesting, all right? And uh, people were eating it, but I did not dare to try it, even though I love kimchi. You know? And this is the thing, is that we have developed a, an acquired taste for sin. That is the reality. Furthermore, is we watch sin for entertainment. We pay for it. We have come to the place where we enjoy people killing each other, watching it, people committing adultery or fornication. And God, through His grace, comes down and transforms our wiring. We can come to Him just the way we are with all our acquired taste and all of our jaded sensitivities, but we come to God and we have all of these things, and then He starts to reformat not only our thinking, but our emotional responses. 
And it, we get to the place where what was once sweet now becomes bitter. Praise God for that. He changes our taste. And I want to tell you that my acquired taste, spiritually speaking, is very different now, by the grace of God, than when I began the Christian experience. He started to change things and develop my emotional sensitivities. Listen to this from the book Desire of Ages. We had to memorize this in high school, but uh, don't ask me to do it now. It's a long paragraph. Listen to these words. This is the work of grace. All true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. And if we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, that when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. Praise God for that. The will, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in doing his service. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. What a transformation that can take place in our lives. The work of divine grace is to come in and through us and to transform us so that when doing God's will, we will be carrying out our own impulses that are a result of divine grace. But you say, David, you know, ah, how do we come to this place? There are certain things that I enjoy. I enjoy these things. I've developed an acquired taste for these things. What do I do? What must I do? And I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, verse 31, a brief reflection on the nature of how God changes our emotional attachment to sin. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Here are some poignant words of wisdom from Scripture indicating the nature of how God changes our emotional attachment to sin. Acts chapter 5 and verse 31. Peter preaching here. Let's actually begin in verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you have murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior. And notice the words. What's the next two words there? To give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. The word repentance is a sorrow for sin and a turning away from it. It is an emotional, genuine sorrow for sin. And here the Bible indicates that this sorrow for sin is something that is given. It is something that God gives to us. One other passage, very quickly, go over to Romans Chapter 2 and verse 4. Next book over. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Or do you not despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to 
repentance. This is the reality of the gospel. You can come to Jesus not even feeling any emotional reaction to sin. Matter of fact, you can come to Jesus being attached, loving sin, sin, enjoying sin. You can come to Jesus with all of that, and Jesus says, look, come just as you are, and I will give you the gift of repentance. You can come to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm not sorry. Help me to be sorry. That's the reality of the gospel. You can come to Jesus and say, Lord, I don't feel sorry at all. Help me to be sorry. Steps to Christ, page 26. Just here is a point on which many may err, and hence they fail of receiving the help that Christ desires to give them. They think they cannot come to Christ unless they first repent, and that repentance prepares the way for forgiveness of sin. But must the sinner wait till he has repented before he can come to Jesus? Is repentance to be made an obstacle between the sinner and the Savior? The Bible does not teach that the sinner must repent before he can heed the invitation of Christ. We must come to him just as we are. She goes on, You who in heart long for something better than this world can give, recognize this voice as the voice of God to your soul. Ask him to give you the gift of repentance, to reveal Christ to you in his infinite love, in his perfect purity. This is the reality. I can't tell you how many times I have assumed that I need to be sorry before I can come to Jesus. But the reality is, we can't even feel sorry without Christ. It's a gift. So the emotional response is not possible without Christ. And we can come to him and say, Lord, I have all of the wrong motivation. I have all of this baggage. I'm a slave to sin. Help me because I cannot help myself. Steps of Christ goes on. If you see your sinfulness, do not wait to make yourself better. How many there are who think they are not good enough to come to Christ. Do you expect to become better through your own efforts? We must not wait for stronger persuasions, for better opportunities, for holier tempers. We can do nothing of ourselves. We must come to Christ just as we are. The gospel is really simple. Come. Everything that you need to be saved, Jesus has for you. Every attachment that you have to sin, every habit, every tendency, whatever addiction you may have in your life, Jesus says, look, just come. Many millennials assume that, look, I'm going to be authentic before I come to Jesus. I'm going to be real, and I'm not going to come until I feel the emotion. I'm not going to come until I have the right motivations. But the Bible tells us that you will never have the right motivations until you come. I believe that many people, I would say that all of us, come to Christ with mixed motivations. But Jesus accepts us just the way that we are. 
with even selfish motivations, but he changes those. He changes our emotions. So Jesus says to the leper, just come. He says to the sinner, just come. With all of our emotional baggage, just come. Christ Object Lessons. This is a prayer that I endeavor to pray every single day by God's grace. I pray that it's a prayer that you can pray. Then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. We can come to him and say, Lord, I'm not willing. Help me to be willing. Change my emotions. Change my thoughts. I love this sin Help me to hate it. Let's bow our heads. Every head bowed and eyes closed. I just want to make a simple appeal today. If there is someone here and you have an area of your life that you are struggling with, it may be an addiction. It may be a habit, and this area of your life is a chain around you. And you want to say, Lord, please, give me the gift of repentance. Deliver me from this area of my life. I surrender. Is there someone here that just wants to say, Lord, God bless you, friend. I I ask for deliverance from this area of my life. It's been holding on to me. Father, you see these hands. I believe that you, right now, through the kingdom of grace, are granting freedom. Lord, deliver us from any attachment to this area of our lives. Please, Lord, based on the merits of Jesus and who he is, I pray for deliverance. Second appeal is this. Is there someone here that has not been baptized? Baptism doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that God is perfect. It doesn't mean that you've arrived. It means the beginning and The Holy Spirit has been working on your heart and you want to say, Lord, I want to make the steps toward baptism. And if there's someone here that wants to do that and say, Lord, I'm not worthy, but you are worthy. I want to prepare for baptism. I want to invite you to just slip your hand up if you want to say, I want to prepare for baptism. Is there someone here that wants to prepare for baptism? Oh, God bless you, friend. God bless you, sister. God bless you. Prepare for baptism. God bless you. Amen. Is there someone else that wants to say, Lord, oh, God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. Amen. Amen.
Is there someone else that wants to say, I want to prepare for baptism? Amen. Amen. Those that raised your hand, could you just slip up here? I want to pray with you. Come on up, guys. Just slip up here. I want to say a special prayer for you this morning. You want to prepare for baptism? It's okay. You're among friends here. You're among friends. Amen. Amen. We love you. The Lord loves you. Amen. Amen. Come on up, brother. Come on. All right. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are unworthy. But we thank you that we are not to dwell on our unworthiness, but Jesus. I pray for these precious souls that have come forward this morning. Lord, you've already started a work in their lives. I know that you'll be faithful to complete it. Seal every decision with your spirit. And may the God of peace that started this work be faithful to complete it. Lord, you've heard our hearts this morning. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to your cross we cling. I pray for these precious souls. I pray that the devil would not have any entrance, that you would place a shield of protection, and we praise you for the decisions that have been made this morning. We thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. We thank you that we can come to you surrendering all to our Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.